remember which, that because he was in the first two as well. Which I, I I just remember the only thing I remember of him was that um, <laughs> just his really forced uh, dialogue readings, like during a fight, he's just like shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he, Franco is amazing at times, and other times you can just tell that he is reading off a card. Yeah, because I think he just sees so many things as like performance art that he doesn't mind like just kind of phoning it in. Because like later yeah. he'll be like, "Yeah, that was a really interesting experience. Like you know, getting into the world of blockbuster filmmaking, so I can like, write about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so I can have the money to do my William Faulkner. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, uh, adaptations. Screen movie. I'll watch my cats out. Alright, I'm ready. Alright, cue intro music. <laughs> Welcome to the Abandoned Theater Podcast over at speakersscreens.tumblr.com for the Speakers and Screens blog. My name, as always, is Robert Beck. I'm a writer, often metal writer for Speakers and Screens. And with me, as always, is... DJ Dwayne. Yes. Mostly film writer, though. I haven't written much lately, but summer's coming, and... In the summer. Brace yourselves. Summer is coming. (laughs) Hopefully I'll get back to my weekly movie essays that I had last summer. And pretty much, much as always, considering he's been on practically all of our podcasts since about October or Mm. uh, somewhere around there, uh, we have Danny Spiteri once again. Hey, glad to be on more often. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, All right, so... A lot of movies came out since we did our last podcast because, uh, you know, life gets in the way and we can't really record as much as, as often as we'd like to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, first up, I think we're going to talk about um, – what, what, uh, what, what do we decide about talking about first? I, th- I think we should start with Under the Skin. And I think yeah. Danny, yeah. since he wrote his essay, should introduce it. Oh, oh sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, to plug my essay, I did write uh, one over at speakersscreens.tumblr.com. Um, anyway, yeah. So under the skin, super is, spoilery. Yeah, it's super spoilery. I made that very clear because I, I go all the way to the end in the essay. So please don't read it unless you don't mind or you've already seen it or something. Um, but yeah, it's Jonathan Glazer. This is actually my introduction to him, but I know he's directed both Sexy Beast, which is pretty acclaimed, and then. Birth was the other one, um, which isn't so acclaimed. Yeah. Um, Sexy like, Beast is good. I've, yeah, I've, yeah. GJ has seen Sexy Beast, right? And yeah, um, I know people that like. I know a couple people people that like Birth a little bit more. Oh, okay. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. At the very least, I'll, I'll I'd like to see Sexy Beast at some point. But anyway, Under the Skin is a new one, and apparently, it's nothing like the other two. Um, it's an adaptation of a novel, but apparently, the novel 
uh, is like has way more exposition um, because the film takes a very uh, I think elusive approach. Um, yeah, it, it minimizes dialogue as much as possible. Um, Scarlett Johansson is in the lead role, but I mean she she barely speaks. Like even when it, basically the premise is she's um, uh, we see her like driving around uh, Scotland and like sort of seducing men into her van where she like takes them back to her lair <laughs> yeah and uh and like it's really hard to explain what happens then but i mean i don't even need to um you but, probably shouldn't yeah I, I shouldn't but um yeah i mean even that like <laughs> it's like i can make it sound conventional by talking about it but there's it's really not. nothing in this movie that like looks like how you would expect it to look based on just a, a simple description yeah um uh, even I know I don't know if you guys have the same experience, but I noticed that even whenever the Scottish people, the Scottish men she picked up, talked, mm-hmm. their accents were so thick that I could barely <laughs> understand what they were saying. Yeah, and sometimes and, I just literally yeah. couldn't understand. I just had to deal with like just assuming yeah, it wasn't yeah. that consequential. Because the film does not provide to you such. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> it does not. The bus but driver. It's yeah. not like it's not like Don Vito talking in Viva La Bam, where <laughs> he's just garbled, but you get some. Subtitles. I I really just yeah. compared Under the Skin to Bam Margera, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> just about the last thing. Yeah. I would have thought yeah. of, but yeah, I can see where yeah. you're going. <laughs> yeah, comparing high art to high art here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I think we all thought this film was pretty great. Oh yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's in the running for my for my movie of the year so far. There's been a, re- a bunch of great movies as we've been talking about. And yeah. I think the thing that pushes this movie um, over the top is is sort of that elusiveness and how inviting it is and how Scarlett Johansson is inviting these thick-accented Scottish men uh, to do whatever it is they do. We also are kind of like enthralled in the mystery. Speaking yeah. of which, it's worth noting that those encounters with the Scottish men are completely candid. Yeah, like mm-hmm. like they're set up with hidden cameras inside the van, and th- like they're real they're real blokes. Like yeah. uh, that, that's not really a Scottish term, I guess. But <laughs> like they did not know they were going to be in a movie, and uh, you, you just see this woman who s- looks like Scarlett Johansson uh, picking up on these random ass Scottish dudes, and they somehow somehow they've managed to get them to agree to appear fully nude in the movie with often with boners <laughs> yeah. yeah a lot of boners yeah. in this movie or, 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 or at least two yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to think of how how many of them are like sort of non-professional actors who are in multiple movies and which ones are 100 percent candid because i i think it's um, a mixture of the two well there's one yeah. in the middle of the film that is definitely someone that they found Nice. The, yeah, the y'all the, know who I'm talking about. I'm mm-hmm, yeah, no, that one definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah and and that's yeah. the point. That's really the turning point in the movie. That yes. Um. Well, well, here's the thing. I think Scarlett Johansson being in this movie is important in a lot of ways. It's important for the public perception of who Scarlett Johansson is, which is just this this unattainably beautiful, just uh, unbelievably gorgeous woman. Mm-hmm. And I think that mentality sneaks its way into the film uh, because it 
let's just say her character is someone that might not be from this planet and might not have existed in the form that she is. So yeah. essentially I see you're trying to dance around like something as if it's a spoiler, but honestly, I think that little tidbit they basically t- like reveal right from the beginning that she's not really like she's practically she's probably she's an, like, she's like an alien. Yeah, I mean that yeah, I knew like, that before I even watched the film because people in the synopsis describe well, yeah, her as yeah, an yeah. alien, so it's yeah. not really like gonna and it's not gonna spoil. ruin anything because you're still gonna be baffled as fuck at a lot of, at a lot of points in this movie. Yeah. Okay, but basically. You know the form that Scarlett Johansson's character takes, which who, who apparently her name is Laura. Yeah, I they don't never even... once mention her name throughout the entire fucking movie. Yeah, but in your review, you call her Laura, and I you guess know, on, on, on the IMDb page or something, <laughs> the character is Laura. They, yeah. you never get her name at all. You never get anyone's name. Yeah, honestly, I don't. I think I might have picked that up from like reading about it, like because I don't remember that in the film either. But I imagine it was in there somewhere because someone knew. Yeah. But yeah, they, admittedly, like you know, that's the thing is like I wrote a review, and I, I didn't want to like use other people's interpretations from my review, obviously. But like, yeah. admittedly, there were a couple like plot points that I, I'm glad I read, like, like I don't know, like at least rudimentary reviews, about the film for beforehand because. There were a couple little plot points that kind of skated by me. Um, yeah. Like, nothing major, but, like, it's definitely, like, <laughs> it's definitely hard to pick up everything that's going on, like... Oh, yeah. You know, like, there's just certain thing. I mean, it's hard to say, like, I don't want to spoil it, like I said, but, like, I don't know. I, I think, like, for example, like, her name, like, I still don't know where people are getting that from. Yeah. Um, and then there's one more thing. I, I don't know. If, I think it's too spoilery to say, but... Um, Robbie, we talked about it. The, the, there's like a, a man who shows well, up. A man that's in a motorcycle that follows yeah. her. And I was confused as to what... I, I actually ended up seeing this movie twice. And I'm very glad that I did. Because I I simply do not... Did not understand what that dude was all about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though when I saw it again, I was like, oh yeah, why didn't I just pick up on that first? But yeah. you know, I was still just entranced in the experience. That was a little bit hard. To, yeah, you know, know for sure. But the point I was point I was making originally when I was talking about Scarlett Johansson was that her unbelievable level of beauty not only works in the context of the film, in the context of what the alien character she is is trying to, to do, but it also works in the sort of unscripted parts of the film as well. Because imagine if I just drove around and. Uh, Ask if someone who looks like me, this uh, you know overweight bearded dude, um, <laughs> drives around in a van and says, "Hey, hey do you want do you want to get in my van?" <laughs> that that would not work. I'm pretty sure if any of us, with, with the with the possible exception of Danny Spiteri, uh, drove around in a van and asked strangers to get into their van, it wouldn't quite go so well. <laughs> but take this, you know, yeah. to take someone like Scarlett Johansson, and the way people respond to beauty becomes very important. It's an important theme throughout the film, but it works in even the unscripted parts of it. By the way, there has to be some kind of outtake or gag reel or something where they're just like, you look a lot like Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, I know. (laughs) That's what I've been thinking the whole time. It's like, how do they not like, even in Scott, it's not like Scotland is like this third world country where they don't have like (laughs) television or something. Like this is Scarlett Johansson. She's like a huge star. 
Yeah. But, yeah. She's wearing yeah. a wig. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. What I imagine is someone's like looking over, like, hey, that could be Scarlett Johansson, but she has black hair. So there's no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And oh, God, some of the things that she does in this movie yes. are so horrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that's a huge strength of this movie is sort of the this specific scene stick out. I mean, this movie is not like there there is a plot structure, but really it's just a series of scenes in this yeah. in this alien woman's adventures as uh, she's asking men to climb into her van. Um, but like some of the I mean, without spoiling, I mean, there's a scene on the beach. Oh, yeah. That's how much people that is, have been talking about that mm. is incredibly haunting uh there's a scene with one of her um her men i guess we could call him who is i don't think you should uh, reveal what that all right but but you guys know what i'm talking about there's one man that robbie as robbie was saying earlier kind of changes the entire plot and the motivation for the scarlett johansson character as she uh as she's discovering people you know the more people she runs into the more her character develops in just so slight ways in very subtle ways there are very yeah. few obvious overt statements made in this movie this movie is enigmatic in the best possible way in that you sit there and you're asking about the motivations because it's not like she's going to tell you <laughs> yeah and like the first time i saw it i i actually was not feeling that th- that last half or that last third of the movie because mm-hmm. i didn't really i yeah I'll be honest, I was a little confused by it. Like, why is she eating cake now? And why is... Yeah. Uh, oh, honest. Do, and, wh- and, and, why, and why is this happening? And why is it all suddenly... Why is she going with this dude and it's all practically a, a romantic comedy? Why is she <laughs> watching Scottish television? I don't understand any of this. But, yeah. you know, go from it at the standpoint of... Uh, and, and I think one of the main themes and they're just one of the sad sad themes that this film really puts forth by the end and I don't think this is a I don't think this is a, as a spoiler because it's not really gonna I, I think if you look at it, look at it through the lens of that this film is about people that want desperately to be human mm. but society will not allow them to mm-hmm. I think yeah. the guy that she picks up in the middle of the movie that changes everything that we're talking about mm-hmm. definitely yeah. fits into that into that Absolutely. mold, and if you if, if you look at Scarlett Johansson's behavior after after that scene, with that in mind, I think that it makes more sense, and I think it becomes a much more powerful powerful film, and a sadder yeah. film as well. Yeah, I think it. it, it go, go on, TJ. Right. Oh, um, yeah, um, and, and I think that that also speaks to her understanding of the outward physical appearance and the sort of sexiness that that everyone's so attracted to i mean looking back at the (laughs) uh glazer's earlier movie sexy beast which has a title that kind of ties with this but that movie is sort of about the sexiness of being like a british gangsta starring ray winston you know i mean which, which which we'll mention again probably in the next 20 minutes or so but um but ray winston i mean the movie starts with him just tanning and He's he's a he's a bigger guy. He's not typically sexy, but he views himself as sexy with his gold chain. <laughs> I have to see this speedo, movie. <laughs> and he's just sitting there. And then and in the very first scene, he's almost squished by a boulder, and he sort of has like a he wants to stop being a gangster because he realizes how, mo- how how mortal he is. Until his boss, played by Ben Kingsley, 
nominated for an Oscar for that movie, just choose scene after scene also with this sort of like sexiness of being a gangster, but they're so unsexy. It's, it's a really interesting take on like a movie like Snatch or something similar which has these sort of fetishes of British gangster. I need um, movies about British gangsters are my favorite thing. Then <laughs> I love you, you, I love Snatch. I love Rock and Roller. I need to see <laughs> Don Hemingway because that's probably all about that. It's yeah. either Sexy Beast will fit right in there and you'll love it, or for some <laughs> reason you, you'll think it gets it wrong and you'll hate it. But there is a but there is a giant. Um, a giant, uh, what's the name of that movie? Donnie Darko Bunny in the movie, too. So that just oh. confused me. Oh. <laughs> I posted a picture of him on Easter with like an AK 47. Um, that's from Sex and Peace. <laughs> uh, but um, but the, the movie only makes sense after you see it. So I don't consider it's early in the movie. It's not really a spoiler, but it's interesting. But that same idea of, and this time instead of looking at British gangster movies, sort of looking at a fish out of water or, of course, science fiction horror. And again, looking at the, our outer views, these surface level views of sexiness, because all of these men are willing to get into that car with, with Scarlett Johansson with the wig, because as Robbie and Danny, you were both saying, she's gorgeous. I mean, it's about the physical attraction. And if it was someone who wasn't so attractive, I mean, the commentary, I think, is really brilliant. I wonder if Birth has the same thing, but I haven't seen that. Movie. Hmm, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I wanted to go back to Robbie, what you were saying about, uh, it's basically about people not being allowed to be human and the approach I, the kind of lens, uh, through which I looked at the film when it, in my review was a, a feminist lens. Um, cause, uh, I think that just was an interesting little perspective to choose, but it doesn't have to be that specific. Um, but to tie that in, um, I think it's interesting how, um, I have to be careful here. Um, when she tries to, I guess, participate in like human activities, um, and she has so much trouble with it, um, it, it's kind of like, you know, she's she's been like trained in a way, or like she's been um, like put into this role, basically by a man, um, yeah, to. Uh, just to exploit people, um, just to dehumanize people. Um, and uh, when she tries to, you know, transcend that and, and live her own, like, life, that um, it's like she doesn't feel like she has the right. It's like all she knows how to do is, um, you know, be, like, used and, like, be used in order to use other people. Um, you know, I think it's, like, almost a comment on, like, when you like dehumanize people like they lose their ability to like you know participate in to like enjoy like the human experience you know um and to understand the human experience i'm having to be super like vague obviously this is the kind of movie where i almost yeah. feel like we should have just had a spoiler talk about it um Possibly, yeah. but yeah but it's okay i mean i think uh, more importantly i'd like to get people to see this movie oh um, yeah and, you know, um, yeah, it's just, there's, it's cool because I think it does kind of also work even with some spoilers because it, it's very, like I said, I couldn't necessarily understand what those 
Scottish men were saying, and I think it didn't matter as much yeah, because a lot of it, it isn't. Really yeah, the the narrative like you could kind of like see it develop even just by like kind of sitting with the film. Like you don't necessarily need to latch onto every yeah. little detail. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway. Before yeah, we, oh, go on, go on. Before we move on, just one of my one of my little beefs with the movie, and that kind of uh, sorry. One of my things that just kind of kept this movie from exactly going over the edge with me, and it's still a great movie. It's still, you know, maybe my second or third favorite of the year. Um, uh, but like, I do kind of because the way that they had to employ uh, secret cameras at a lot of points in this movie, which I understand the purpose of that, it kind of leads to a little bit of an inconsistency in. Just the way the movie looks, and uh, just um, I don't know the, the the flow of it sometimes gets a little off, and I think like a, a lot of people have been comparing this movie to Upstream Color, and it's not like it's not a comparison I entirely agree agree with, but if uh, but they're both kind of sed sedative sort of seductive movies, so I understand in that sense but you know that movie seems so um uh uniform in the way it's presented mm, yeah um, that's what you're saying and this uh in this film it, there's a couple moments where it doesn't it doesn't quite flow perfectly um so maybe if it was a little a little bit more i, I don't know careful or hmm you're talking about the actual like cinematography, or yeah, the cinematography, or the editing. Uh, sometimes the editing. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't be specific enough, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I I can see what you're saying, but um, because there, maybe there were a couple shots where I was like, I can tell that this is specifically one of the um, the like hidden camera shots. But I, I will say though that technology has come a long way because those hidden camera shots still look almost like they were shot with a big-time professional yeah. digital camera. Yeah, like, I did think they looked really good. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, the, the synthesis between um, big professional cameras they use in movies and little uh, hidden cameras, it, it's starting to, like, bleed over the quality-wise. And I was actually very impressed overall with the just the advance of technology there. Mm -hmm. I yeah. Also, the uh, I, th I need to mention that the score in this movie is awesome. Oh gosh, yeah, I can't believe <laughs> I mentioned that. Amazing score. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. It's really one of the best scores I've heard in a while. Really? It just yeah, <laughs> that it, sound. It, yeah, I know. <laughs> they made uh, or I don't know how to pronounce Mika Levy um, <laughs> from. Uh, I've actually seen her live, um, oh, nice. and yeah, um, she basically like pulls out really just disorienting melodies um, from these just dissonant strings and she'll have them like just kind of like gradually you know bend like to the notes that they you know reach rather than like it's just a very like just very stressful score um, but not even in like a fast paced like kind of way it's more like in just a slow like just taking a long time to resolve kind of way you know like yeah it, it's just it's fascinating i think it's one of the best in a while 
Um, like la- last year was a weak year for scores. The year before had some really yeah. great ones. Um, I, really, like, really, I, f- I found on quite a bit of scores I really liked last year. I like honestly them. the upstream color one was the only one I was in love with last year. Really, not not even the her. I liked the her score, but I wasn't like freaking out. Um, like it was good. I liked it. Uh, right, that's right. one of the better ones. That's that's one of my one of my favorites. Um, but I wasn't floored by it. That wasn't my favorite aspect of the movie. The um. There's some others I, I can think of, but I can't remember. I'm I will sorry, say that the her score was really good last year, but it was so late in the year that I, I had already like mentally decided that it was a weak year for scores. Um, yeah. Upstream right. Color certainly was one I really liked. I, I also like Nebraska, yeah. but a lot of those songs were pretty... Actually, um, I like the Nebraska score, too. I, I'll admit it. I'd say Upstream, Her, and Nebraska were easily my three favorite scores of last year. Yes. Um, I, I, the, the score for Gravity was uplifting, but I didn't love it. Yeah. And and that, that was also probably a solid part, but one of the weaker parts of 12 Years a Slave, because Hans Zimmer is starting to get Oh, awesome. yeah, I don't... Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of done with done with Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Hans I got nervous when I saw him attached to that movie because I was like, "Oh no, it's gonna be like you know, almost like bombastic, like for the slave movie that doesn't need to be bombastic." Yeah, luckily I think Steve McQueen kept him like at bay, but still, no, he like, yeah. I just I just imagine Chills all easy for like looking over his shoulder at Freedom, wrong as he. Like, yeah, turns. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Capitol Hill, wrong. <laughs> Um, I, I will say though the one part I thought he did well was the sort of like churniness of the ship. The steam Actually, ship. that was great. Yeah, I agree. With that. But otherwise, yeah, it was very subpar. Two years ago, uh, you know, we we had like the master and even Cloud oh, Atlas. Gosh, the master fascinating was orchestra. Yeah, I actually really like the Cloud Atlas. Score. I don't remember the Cloud Atlas score, but I'm sure. Um, I go back and listen to it a lot. And Moon and Andre Des- Alexandre Desplat and uh, oh, yeah. Moonrise Kingdom. Oh yeah, yeah like. I'm, I'm hoping this and will be another year. This is great, too. Yes, absolutely. I think this year has been great for scores already, just with those two. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we should um, probably move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've been talking a little while on this, which uh, it warrants it. It's a great movie. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, which one are we talking about? Oh, we're talking about Noah now, which I've seen, sure, we've well, all seen over, well over a month ago, so I might not have it as fantastic. Yeah, same here. I saw it, at, like, opening – Thursday night, so. Mm-hmm. But I, I saw still, it Friday. Yeah. Not last yeah. I yeah. saw it the week after, but even then, like, okay, I saw, I saw this movie, which I I, I, I like this movie quite a bit. It's not perfect, but I, I really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. I saw this movie with my um, fundamentalist Christian grandparents, and I love my grandparents, <laughs> but mm-hmm. say that we don't agree on religious matters would be the understatement of the century. <laughs> and this is yeah. what, like, I hate to be throwing my grandma under the bus here, but this is what she said to me <laughs> after the movie. I just thought, like, it, it explains our differences so well. She said the only thing that was, ac- the only things that, that were accurate about that picture were the name of it and the arc. <laughs> and it's like, okay, accurate. Define accurate. <laughs> yeah, like, were you going in expecting like the most faithful retelling of the story? Like, well, well that's boring. Like, I mean, like, all, all the people talking, all the people attacking that movie from that standpoint, believe that Noah's Ark actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like, okay, I'm... Look, I was it, there and didn't look like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, well, so, a lot of people who go to church are old enough to actually say that. Yeah. 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 Like, I, I don't want to alienate any religious oh, people from here. Yeah, of course I'm not trash on it. But just yeah. like, I'm, 
I'm sorry. Noah's Ark didn't happen. Can we at least come to a little bit of a consensus on that? Like, I mean, yeah, it's like it's a story. Like, it's a story to make a point. Like, it's not you know, it's not meant to be taken literally. Yeah, like, ah, yeah, just uh, as the podcast resident uh, Catholic light, that is 100 (laughs) percent true. (laughs) What you just said. It's a it's a moral. It's a story to teach something, or you know. Yeah, it's it's allegory. Yeah, exactly. That's been my, I mean, like, I'm like, I don't want to get into a religious discussion here, but like, I may be like, I'm, I consider myself agnostic now, but I, I grew up like going to like, you know, Catholic, like, I don't know, they call it catechism and reading these stories and stuff. And like, I learned about it and I was taught like, yeah, this isn't true. This is allegory. You should just learn from it. You know? So I think it's kind of ridiculous that people like feel like it needs to just be so by the book when it's translated to film. Like, no, this is about like interpreting it in a way that allows you to learn about it and like, you know, share it with other people. I mean, that's like the whole, it's the whole point here, you know? I mean, I I don't want to trash on religion in the slightest bit. Like it's just, it's just about like respecting other people's uh, like ability to interpret it, you know? Yeah. Uh, Glenn Beck saw it in, you know, Glenn Beck. But, um, but, but he hated it and he called it uh, Texas uh, chainsaw massacre on a boat in reference to the end of the movie and i'm thinking if i'm uh who really how did he get Sony? that out of this <laughs> well, what i'm what? saying that, that that if i'm was it who released this was it sony whoever it was uh, i don't Warner know Brothers? sony but it was, whatever production right company yeah uh, thank you danny whoever did it they should have yeah. put that on the freaking poster yeah Texas <laughs> chainsaw massacre on a boat in quotes glenn beck <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. really did not advertise the rock the rock monsters in this movie. They actually cut them out of the trailers in some scenes that they do appear in. Like they hid them as well as they could. Yeah. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, there are rock, rock monsters. monsters in this movie. Yeah. And they appear very early yeah. on. They, it's not a yeah. third act thing. Like mm-hmm. I expected the third act to go insane, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's really the the beginning where you, where you realize, okay, this is basically a fantasy film. Yeah, which makes sense considering that it's based off of a religious mythology, and I'm not like <laughs> once again I'm not shitting on religion. I'm using mythology in the traditional sense. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I feel you. We get to have one of the rock monsters played by Hector from Breaking Bad. I don't know if you guys <laughs> realize that. Who from Breaking Bad? Uh, Hector, the guy in the wheelchair. Oh, uh-huh. oh um, he's in Mike, every one of Aronofsky's films Mike, almost. Mike Margolis. Yeah. Yeah, he was in. Uh, yeah, he was in Requiem for a Dream, and he was in. He played a Catholic priest in The Fountain, uh, which I have not seen okay. yet. But yeah, The Fountain gets a bad rep, in my opinion. I okay, here's. Not. I I have I have such a weird relationship with Darren Aronofsky, the director I, of this film, by the way. Director of this film, yeah. <laughs> I, I I I, okay. Um, there's a lot of people. A lot of people love Requiem for a Dream, and that's that that's fine. I. I can't really watch it. Like, like, like I rewatched it and just it was. I don't want to. I don't want to poop on anyone that loves it, <laughs> but the whole thing felt like student film on speed for me. Like, <laughs> Literally. Yeah, and yeah. It, I, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm a fan. I can't. Yeah, I, I'm a fan too, but it's also been a long time since I've seen it, and I'm willing to go back and reassess it because I, I realize it's it's totally not subtle in the slightest. I'm a fan of the score. Oh, I love the score. Which, but even like, though it's like, solely overblown, I love it. It's well, a great, memorable well, the theme that it has. 
Well, Clint Mansell is a really terrific composer, and yes. did you do the score of this one as well? He did, no, even I, though I don't remember how. It, yeah, like it's not nearly. It wasn't nearly as memorable as that or the Fountain, which I have the unpopular opinion that I actually think the Fountain might be his my favorite movie of his, and it's the one that yeah. easily gets the most shit. Yeah, yeah it's well, not my favorite, actually, but I would oh, totally my, agree that it's really yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or well, but I also like Cloud Atlas, so who am I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They do share some qualities. Um, it's true. It's although true. I think, I think the Fountain is a little bit more centered on one or two main ideas. And the other ones, the stories and the, and Cloud Atlas, which I I really I I really enjoy Cloud Atlas. I really enjoyed, um, going. I really enjoyed going through the movie and picking out like. Just, just figuring the movie out, I think, is a really good thrill. But it doesn't resonate with me emotionally in the same way that it does with a lot of people. In the same way that the fountain definitely resonates with me, with me emotionally. Like, mm-hmm. I'm almost at the point of tears at the end of that movie. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I only saw it recently, by the way. I only made sure to watch it before I saw um, uh, Noah. But I think, I think it's, I think, I think Aronofsky, once you know. He became a really hot, hot commodity after um, Requiem kind of get, gained this following, mm-hmm. um, and I think he went in the weirdest direction possible, and he was, for the most part, kind of punished for it. Yeah, and it's kind of amazing that he was able to come back with a wrestler and get you know regain some of that critical momentum, and then you know come back with Black Swan, which is probably even weirder than than um uh the wrestler or requiem mm. and make millions and hundreds of millions of dollars for it. i forget yeah. how huge that movie was like i thought yeah, it was just like of, one of those one of those indies that gets a best picture nomination yeah it's no kind of, it was kind of amazing like it made tons of money worldwide mm-hmm. yeah and for a even just in america budget. yeah mm-hmm. yeah but anyway we're talking about yeah. noah now yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've given it proper context. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. like you know, Darren, I'm like I'm kind of in, in an awkward position with Darren Aronofsky, but I honestly think like I still haven't seen Pi, still haven't seen Pi. Neither have um, I. Either. I might like this third best after The Wrestler and The Fountain. <laughs> to be honest, interesting. Yeah, and like uh, like some like some folks say it's the you know maybe the weakest one uh which i understand mm. i mean I, I think it has its problems but i don't know i think it has its great strengths as well sorry yeah the, the I, I would i would put it in lower level aronofsky but i'm probably a bigger fan than you though i i acknowledge his weaknesses but his biggest weakness i think we all can agree is that it is lack of subtlety and yeah. sort of bombast yeah but mm. i i'm in this weird position in my own critical eye where Subtlety is awesome when it's there, but it's not a prerequisite for me to think a movie's great. Yeah. Where, I mean, I like Federico Fellini, and Fellini was self-indulgent to the max, but that's what made his art so altruistic and so unique. Mm. Yeah. Um, a- Aronofsky is not Fellini-esque in any way, but he does sort of, he doesn't check his own bombast. And in an indie film like Requiem for a Dream, that can make it just look like a student film on crack because he's not afraid to do really weird things with the camera and it just looks very amateuristic in Western times. While in yeah, Noah, like the splitting and stuff. Yes, exactly. Kinda, uh... and, and in Noah, um, 
it's kind of he he's doing an epic fantasy film and i have a i have a soft spot for epic fantasy for some reason like i can't get into superhero movies anymore um unless they just truly are exceptional but epic fan like you know i'll rewatch lord of the rings i watch game of thrones i play video games that have that bent for some reason it's just something that i had to let go of and i was totally on board because the first half of noah is exactly that 100 yeah totally epic fantasy and then once the rain comes it changes into the psychological like i wouldn't say thriller but though it is in ways thrilling um it just completely changes like tone and genre when i thought it was actually masterfully done though it's a really bombastic move <laughs> yeah yeah um but that's that dichotomy is actually one of my favorite parts of the movie me too well. mm. the kind of at one second we're going to do this and but then we're going to do that and like I found it really interesting. Yeah. Um, something I wanted to talk about with this is it, um, noting Aronofsky's protagonists over the course of his filmography. Yeah. Um, and obsession. Yes. Yes. They're always defined by obsession. Um, and I say with Requiem, you know, it's it's not just obsession with drugs, but it's obsession with uh, like some sort of ambition and, or yeah, or yeah. like you know expectations that. For themselves, you know, the mom like once again the game show and the mm-hmm. you know etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But and then the wrestler, its obsession with his, you know, kind of like lost glory and um, you know uh, black swan, its obsession yeah. with perfection and her art. I mean, those are yeah. companion pieces, is what Aronofsky says, right? Uh, the wrestler and oh, yeah. black yeah. swan, you know, its obsession with art and um, with the fountain. It's um, well, a sort of obsession with prevent preventing death, yeah, immortality mm-hmm. for the. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that one, and I, I haven't seen The Fountain, and I have not seen Pi, but I know Pi has to do with I know Pi is about too. that as well. And that obsession angle really comes into play in the last act act or so of uh, Noah. Yeah, and it's fascinating because it's almost like Aronofsky saying, like, all right, I, this is, like, the kind of character that fascinates me. You know, what character in mythology, like, could I work into this sort of archetype, you know? And, and he just says, like, oh, Noah, that's, like, an interesting you know, that's what it felt like to me, at least. Like, because Noah, if you think about what he's doing, like, yeah, he's he's wiping out the entirety of humanity. I mean, that's like a pretty big deal. You know, is humanity really just full of heathens and like, you know, all these evil people who are irredeemable? Like, no, you know. And I think that's kind of the conflict he faces. Is you know, I, I need to fulfill my like moral duty, and yet, is this really all that moral? You know, and that's yeah. an interesting question. It and is this what God wanted? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. kind of like, I think it's, you can apply it um, in, in real life to um, just kind of religious zealots who um, take their faith like to a point of like just hate or violence or whatever and just kind of asking, oh, yeah, like, hey, you know, I didn't really think about it from that perspective, but yeah, that yeah. works. Yeah. And, and Noah himself, he, um, he feels the consequence. It weighs so heavily on him at the end of this movie. I mean, but it also does within the Bible. So Aronofsky is actually being pretty accurate because I, I was looking up this quote because I remember a lot of religious criticisms criticize him getting drunk in the cave, which is sort of an aftermath like effect oh, yeah. of of after, you know, uh, what happens on the raft or sorry, the, the ark. <laughs> on the raft. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest but, well, part if they name this movie Noah's Ark then maybe you wouldn't you wouldn't miss out on these finer details TJ I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but um but 
resident mean, film off, expert right here. <laughs> uh, but first off, uh, I think Crow does a great job with this role. He's he's he hasn't had a good uh, role in a while, in my opinion. And um, but the, but they specifically reference him drunk in the cave, like naked, and they say Noah would never do that. He's so nice and just with all the animals. <laughs> I'm going to quote the Bible right now, King James Version. And he drank of the wine and was drunken and was uncovered within his tent. So they yeah. changed the tent into a cave. OMG. But, Booyah. <laughs> but that is, I mean, it pissed me off because I think Danny's absolutely right. Like Aronofsky is making this comment where people want to view this story through the most easy lens possible. But. Noah killed millions or thousands. I don't know what the population was at that time. Like, he made that choice, which leads to the second half of this movie being so um, uh, extreme. But he makes that choice based on his religious belief. He makes that choice based on his obsession, based on that idea. And of course there's going to be consequences, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think – look, I think one of the parts of this movie that was really interesting to me that I actually wish that it did – that that it went a little bit deeper with was this idea of the people that got left behind the people that god or noah if you want to interpret that way interpret it that way chose to kill basically because they don't really get any kind of say in the bible or maybe they do but i don't remember it (laughs) uh it was just kind of like oh all these people are bad they're heathens and they're gonna they're gonna die and that's it uh and I think that the main villain of the film, while I think he could have been a little more introspective, uh, Ray Winston. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Tupel Kane. Because <laughs> there's a lot of Cockney people in, in ancient times. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, but I think he has a couple of really interesting moments of, you know, God, why are you, why, why art thou forsaken me? Yeah. 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 And, you know, I wish that was done with a little bit more finesse. It would have made for a more um, really interesting and just sad statement about it. But I think I think Aronofsky approaches those ideas and I I was just happy seeing them in there, at least. I agree. You know, that's the thing with making um, Ray Winston's character so like evil is um, I think it does kind of undermine that statement that like, hey, you know, humanity isn't just this black and white morality, right? Like, and yet, you know, his character is like black morality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That that was probably a touch irresponsible on the part of the director. And I remember I really loved his part the first time I saw the movie, but now that I'm about a month away from it, I kind of understand the problems with it. Yeah. Um, the, um, we should probably uh, continue going so you guys can talk about uh, our next movie, but because uh, Danny's going to head out soon, right? Yeah, I got it in like 15 minutes. Oh, okay, yeah. so um, uh, the last thing I do want to say is that, uh, again, I really like this movie. Yeah, so did I. And, um, and even though, of course, it's imperfect, but I mean, I- I'd rewatch it in a heartbeat uh, on home video. But, I, would, I would too, yeah. But, the, but other than Russell Crowe, some of the performances could have been a little... Um, more lively, especially all of the kids. Mm-hmm. I would say yeah. Emma Watson and Jennifer Connelly do a good job with, with their roles, even though they are playing to, uh, female archetypes that, that we've seen before. But I guess they are biblical characters, so it makes sense. But mm-hmm. um, And Nick Nolte as a rock person is a perfect casting. But 
Nick Otherwise, Nolte. yeah, Nick Nolte's one of the other uh, oh. Sa- Samyaza. I knew that Frank Langella was one of them, but I didn't know it was Nick Nolte. Mm, yeah, yeah, and That's um, crazy. Yeah, he has that raspy voice. But um, but really, overall, I thought that the kid characters and performances by Logan Lerman at all could have been a little stronger. Would have made the movie. Yeah, better. I liked seeing Logan Lerman reunite with Emma Watson. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, but you know his part in the movie is kind of serve is kind of a device more than it is an actual like you know conflict or meaty role or whatever. So that yeah. th- th- that was a little bit like they could have done a better job with that. Like it, um, it, it's a wildly imperfect movie, but I think it's I, I think it's worth seeing definitely. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. And um, Logan Lerman's character just made me hungry because his name is Dan. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys could hear that from there, but I did the. I actually did. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Talk about some vampires, or you guys will. I'll I'll listen. Okay. Um, the next film is something that me and Danny both saw, but uh, TJ did not. Yes, We're but TJ has something up on us, or actually, no, not up on us, up on me. In that he's seen other Jim Jarmusch films, but I know you have two, Robbie. So I've yeah, I've seen. Um, okay, well, well, we're talking about the new, the latest Jim Jarmusch film, uh, "Only mm-hmm. Lovers Left Alive," the yes. vampire drama that uh, attempts to kind of reclaim vampire films for a sort of art film audience, while also retaining the romanticism and the sort of mysticism around vampires, which uh, it basically. It explores vampirism in a 21st century context and really examines, like, okay, if, if you're going to be around for centuries and centuries, what are you going to do with all that time? Yeah. Um, and how are your relationships with humans, who the vampires call zombies, um, and your relationships with other vampires, how are they going to change? Um and I thought this was a really interesting film, um, and mm-hmm. uh, and I liked it more the more I thought about it. Um, yeah. Because there's this, I think oh, Tilda Swinton and Tilda Swinton and uh, I keep wanting to say Loki, but what, what's oh, uh, Tom Hiddleston? <laughs> Tom Hiddleston are the yeah. leads in the film, and I think they have I. It's easy to call them one-note characters, but I think that they have really terrific chemistry. Like, I just... Mm. I would watch a whole movie of them just driving around Detroit and talking. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Tom Hiddleston has kind of become... Uh, he, he, you know, he he's this... He, he's been a musician for centuries and centuries. He talked about giving a string quintet to, quintet to Schubert once. Um, yeah. But lately, he's been kind of reclusive and making this underground droney music, which I would so listen yeah. to if it was actually real. Like if this dude actually, I made actually music, really I liked it. Yeah, it, it yeah. worked really well. That's one thing I want to talk about. The I music guess. choices in this yeah. film are uniformly just 
so awesome. great. Yeah, um, yeah it, that's the thing with Jarmusch, and I haven't seen any of his other films. I plan to rectify that as soon as uh, his music choices are um, always but, like he's known for being great. Yeah, I've heard that exactly. Yeah, and with this film, man, the, the whole aesthetic is just so distinct and great because he, there's yeah. just uh, but every like shot he gets and the performances he gets has a certain vibe, and the music really just helps like to build that, you know, and it's just, it's this great, like unique atmosphere. That's just awesome. And it totally fits. Go on, TJ. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I have to ask a question. I heard there was a Jack White reference in Robbie. How angry did that make you? How angry did that make you? (laughs) Oh, no, 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 not angry, but I think it, I look, look, I like Jack White's music. I want that to be clear. I like Jack White's music. I've seen him live. He's an incredible performer. I just think he's like, in the top five douche douches <laughs> douches in all of music culture, but yeah. let let's be clear. I really enjoy his music. I love the the, the best White Stripes albums are great. Um, his solo album had some great parts in it. Yeah. Uh, send the record straight here. Okay. I, I agree with everything you just said. By the the yeah. the Jack White reference did kind of. Um, because they were driving in Detroit and they passed by his, they passed by a house and they're just like, oh, that's Jack White's house. And then Tolson's just like, oh, little Jack White. <laughs> yeah, and it was such a strain. Like whenever, whenever they made, because like all, all of the stuff that uh, Tommy Hilston has is so like retro or, mm-hmm. um, kind of old fashioned. That whenever there's like a reference to something 21st century like, it's always kind of weird. Like, uh-huh. like uh, Tilda Swinton has an iPhone, and when she pulled that out, I was like, "Oh wait, what? What?" And then there's a couple of references to YouTube, and wait, wait what? Like, what time are we in? Yeah. Like, I think a lot of Jarmusch's movies have a kind of anachronistic quality to them. Like yeah. Ghost Dog, which is my favorite thing that he's done that I've seen, is like this inner city crime film from the standpoint of like an old 1950s uh, uh, samurai Jidageki film. Uh, like done through that sort of lens, uh, of course, with music by the RZA backing it, yeah, uh, because that's just so appropriate for that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. um, sounds really Tarantino-esque. I haven't seen Ghost. Well, I think it's actually the opposite of what Tarantino does. Oh, like like the exact opposite because Tarant what Tarantino does is he, especially with the last few movies he's done, is tell stories set in the past context. From a very modern lens, ah, and using okay. all these uh. anachronistic modern music, like you know, putting putting a David Bowie song in, in *Glorious Bastards*, or you know, putting fucking hip hop in *Django Unchained*. <laughs> *Ghost Dog* is literally the reverse of that, where it's a very modern story told through the eyes. Even even something as subtle as like the cinematography and just the rhythm of the film is so like '50s kung fu slash you know samurai film like mm. all around that um yeah but yeah yeah ghost dog is really terrific and i really want to watch it again because it's, it's such a great movie but yeah. we're talking about this film which i think <laughs> is also great although a little bit less great because i think there yeah. is a certain kind of um stillness to it which i normally really like in a movie i i, I normally kind of like that quality um, and I let and I like it here, but I th- I wish that they explore the conflict of the 
the Tom Hiddleston character a little bit more because what I was going to say and then I got sidetracked um, was – no, no, it's not your fault. Um, was that he is kind of he's kind of depressed and they never make that they never say that but he 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 is he keeps talking about how the zombies as they call the humans have contaminated the world um uh you know i think the film being set in detroit uh, actually makes uh, is actually very important in that case because it's really one of like it's one of the saddest looking cities in the world, and, and just there are neighborhoods in that city that are literally abandoned, and it, there's a lot of just ruins in there. And there's there's a scene where they go inside this big theater that used to be this big movie house that that um, seated thousands of people, and now it's just this empty artifact that no one uses anymore. And I wish they discovered they uncovered the depression of that character a little bit more and the suicidal nature of that character a little bit more. Mm. Um, I don't want to go into spoilers with that last part, but yeah, it's, that's hardly even anything. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I was a little conflicted with that issue because on one hand, I really liked that they, they didn't like develop the characters a ton. Like there was a little arc, like, yeah, but it wasn't like a major one. And I think that kind of is true to how these characters would, I, I imagine, would be being alive for so long. There wouldn't be any major revelations, but there'd just be these little down periods and up periods that kind of, you know, kind of they fluctuate in and out of. And it, you know, it's a cool little yeah. approach. And that brings me back to what I wanted to say a little earlier was that I think it's super cool that um, Jarmusch took this approach because, I mean, a it's like him saying, "Hey, this is like." a joke of a genre. I know it can be cool though. Let me make it cool. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also like kind of saying, okay, here's one reason why it's not cool. Like a, a film like twilight, uh, is kind of ridiculous because it's like, Oh, like that's it. We made it guys. Like we're vampires. We're going to be alive forever. We're going to be in love forever. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you guys have known each other for like a couple of years. Like, you know what it's like to be in love with someone for like, even just, like 30 years. Like, yeah. I mean, like imagine like your life, like that doesn't end, you know, like, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, like th- this is like a it's like this t- sip- the typical fairy tale where it's like oh they live happily ever after. Like so you mean yeah. like after this like one conflict they never had any other conflicts ever? Yeah. Like I feel like Jarmusch is like no no they're going to have more conflicts. Let's explore those, you know. Yeah. So he gets into what it's what it's uh, yeah. you know, I imagine it's like to live a life for so long where you know just and it's fascinating, and it was a world I really wanted to explore. And that's the thing is, I'd actually wanted to explore it more. I did want deeper yeah. characterization, but I still thought he did enough with the premise to make it a pretty great film. Yeah, and um, just the atmosphere surrounding it is just so terrific. And mm-hmm, absolutely, um, you know. But there, there are a couple of jarring moments uh, at a couple points, just because um, you forget that the reflexes of vampires are actually really ridiculously ridiculously swift. Um, yeah. There are a couple of moments where that shows up, and it's just like, wait, what? What? What just happened? Because you're not yeah. used to that. Like you might be used to the fake ass running in the Twilight movies. Yeah. Because you know oh, those movies, those movies at their best are already so campy and ridiculous as it is. And I'm a defender. Yeah, and I'm a defender of the last two just because I think they're fun to watch. Just because of how ridiculous they are, um, the Twilight movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Um, but I, I haven't seen them, but I've actually read the entire series. You've read? I read the read entire them? series. It, oh they're awful. God. I'm not saying like you know. Oh my god! No, they're bad. I just 
like I happen to be in a position where I had the time and nothing better to do. So years ago, uh, I read them all. There are better, because like I read a little bit of Breaking Dawn. I've never seen so many characters realize something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is easily some of the poorest writing I've ever read. I mean, yeah, oh, good lord. It's, it's funny because sometimes she'll, she uses very basic, like, prose, <laughs> but then sometimes she'll have, like, one word that's, like, kind of, like, one word she always uses is infinitesimal, I think. I don't know how to... I'm, she uses what? that particular word. She's it's like, like she's oh, like, look, guys, I can use big words. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> That's exactly what oh, I felt like. Oh, good lord. <laughs> in the first book, which Joel and I have read, I read it in college for an adolescent lit course, and I mm. did not like it. Um, yeah. But I... Uh, there, was a, there was a description of Edward that made me think of Zoolander. It was pretty close to really, really ridiculously good looking. And I was like, this is porn for teen girls. Did they really say really, really ridiculously good looking? No, that was oh, not her exact phraseology. But it was but something it was just, like that. He was yeah. impossibly attractive or something. I'm like, this is something you'd see in Zoolander. <laughs> oh, my. But anyway, Which is one of Terrence they... Malick's favorite movies. That's a fact. Zoolander? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. I need it. It's crazy. He had a film festival in uh, Austin. He didn't show because he's Terrence Malick, but yeah. But but they projected one of his favorite movies, Zoolander. Oh. That's incredible. I'm <laughs> I, find super... that so, I find that so great. <laughs> I want to watch Terrence Malick's Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him, him recut of Zoolander. Just Walking cuts out all weeks. the dialogue. Just artsy shots of like Mugatu's like. <laughs> uh, Danny, do you know the song that? Um, uh, Tom Hiddleston and uh, Tilda Swinton dance to in the middle of this movie because that that might be my favorite sequence of the whole film. You know, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I, I like, remember the scene I, you're talking I, about. I knew, I like, I, 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 I made a point to mentally write up what that fucking song was called. Yeah. So we can put it on the podcast at the very end because it would be oh, so Oh, yeah. We can probably find it. for the life of me yeah. and I could like, I heard oh, yeah, on IMDb. I heard like yeah. a Wikipedia. Uh, can you look up songs on IMDb? Yes, you can look up the soundtrack. Soundtrack. Oh, okay. I'm there now, hold on a second. Uh, Funnel of Love is that what it is? It's something uh, about love. Wanda Jackson. Uh, that, Charlie McCoy. That must be it. Um, I'll, I'll send it to you right now while we keep talking. Um, so let's see. Hold on. There's Wanda a song Jackson. called Soul Dracula. Uh, Soul Dracula, Wanda Jackson, Funnel of Love. Here, um, I, I I already got a YouTube page. Um, I don't think this is the song. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, that was like a Motown R and B kind of. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it was. You know, here I'll just send you the uh, soundtrack, and you can look at it when you need to. Um, there. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I don't have too much else to say. I'm just definitely excited to get into um, the rest of his filmography, and I think it, it's it's a, like the kind of approach that the genre has needed, you know. Um, Trap by a thing called love. Oh, there you go. Denise Denise Lasalle. Okay. Hey, um, yeah, uh, Robbie, I, have you seen his '80s films? Because those are the th- three of his the three films I've seen by him are Mystery Train, 
uh, Down by Law and uh, Stranger Than Paradise. I've seen Stranger, you... I've seen Stranger Than Paradise. I haven't seen the other ones. Okay, um, Stranger Than Paradise is good. It's probably my least favorite of three, but it's still a very great early indie movie, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, um, it's good. Uh, I don't think there's. A how do you compare it? To it? Not at all. Um, not how do I compare it to what this? Yes. We, we can tell us by the same director because it, you know, a lot of a lot of Stranger Than Paradise is just two dudes, two guys talking about nothing. Yeah. And um, a lot of this movie is, you know, two do uh, two dudes, two guys <laughs> driving around Detroit yes. talking about whatever they feel like talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think it's I think it's very Jarmish. Like you can just tell what he's doing. Yeah. Um. So, what else is on the list? Because I have to get going. Um. I want to see if there's anything I should touch on before I leave. Yeah. On our, on our docket, because uh, so I think I'm done. just about with what I need to say about this film. Yeah. Same here. Um. I know there's Blue Ruin for TJ. Um. Joe. There's Joe, which I have not seen yet, and then there's uh, Captain America for Robbie. Spider-Man the raid for Robbie. Too. For Robbie. The I don't raid think we need to talk. I think, I think I said about all I needed to say about Spider-Man in the first yeah, that... pre-show thing. Okay, I'll cut that out then. Um, and then, what else is it? Is that it? Raid, the Raid 2. Yeah, I got that. And then... Oh, I want to I want to quickly mention Mistaken for Strangers, the, That's right. the documentary. I about really need to say that. See that. Oh, I liked it a lot. I was a big fan. Um, okay. Um... Is there anything else that you saw, Danny? Um, from 2014, no. I need to see Locke and Blue Ruin and The Double. I might. I haven't I, seen any of them yet. I thought about saying Locke yesterday, but I didn't feel like making the drive, and I might not be able to until next week because of finals and shit. Yeah, I feel <sighs> you. I, I have to see. I have to wait till finals are over to see more movies myself. That's why I haven't seen okay. too much lately. I've been um, interested in getting into Ty West because I, I I've heard. Oh yeah. Things. Um, I so might I, have seen something of Ty West's. Uh, the the Innkeepers, and then he did something that was even more famous than that. Okay, um, but, well, uh, the Innkeepers, I thought was eh, like I, I don't really care about one way or another. Um, House of the Devil, which I thought was great, actually. Okay. Um, like yeah, a, that's the one like, I probably need. like traditional like eighties style um, slasher film with Greta Gerwig. Actually, she's not the main character, but she's in there. Um, but I wanted to see his new yeah. movie, which I hear is not that great. But yeah. I do want to Sacrament. Eli Roth produced yeah. it. Um, yeah, I might, I might see it because I really, I really did, really did like House of the Devil, even though I didn't really like the Innkeepers that much. Which you know, it, like Innkeepers is fine, but like, I don't know. I just maybe I need, maybe if I watch it again, I might dig it a little bit more. But I oh, heard cheap, I heard cheap thrills is interesting. Uh, cheap thrills is meh. Like you it's did. one of those. Yeah, I saw it. It's one of those. Like it's it, it it's one of those film festival movies that oh like oh it's it's cool, but then people blow, way blow uh, out of proportion you know. Alamo Drafthouse was like one of the big things behind that, so they probably just over advertised it, oversaturated the market with how much mm-hmm. people were talking yeah. about. Oh, uh, the Sacrament is a found footage movie, so that's kind of, eh. but yeah, I trust Ty West and. Uh, the two main people and the two lead actors in the movie are Joe Swanberg, who's you know, directed a bunch of, uh, yeah. as they would call it, mumblecore Mumble. films. But he directed Drinking Buddies, which I thought was really great. Or not really great, but, you know, very, very, very good. 
in a lot in a few movies with uh, Greta Gerwig, and Amy Simetz, who was the lead in Upstream Color, and oh sweet, uh, she, she was also in You're Next, which Joe Swanberg is also in, um, which was a pretty good slasher movie from last year. Or w- was he in Your Next? I don't really. Joe Swanberg, yeah, and Amy Simetz, and Ty West. Yeah. <laughs> so there's kind of. There's they basically, kind of... it's just the most like crossbreeding kind of you know community. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna take off, but this has been fun. Um, oh yeah. Hopefully Danny. next yeah. time we do this, we'll have had more time to see more films. And I won't because... sleep in. Yeah, no, it's okay. It worked out. Um, it worked out. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Um, yeah. All right. Well, good luck with the rest of the podcast. Bye, Danny. Later. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Next film, Joe. Uh, the latest David Gordon David Gordon Green film. Have um, uh, I explained the last film? So uh, why don't you explain the plot of this film, uh, TJ? Joe is David Gordon Green's latest film, recently released theatrically and on VOD, which is how I watched it. Yeah, I watched it. I watched it on VOD as well. Yeah, VOD is kind of problematic, but it's been really great for people like me who live in the country. Um, And people like me that don't want to drive. Exactly. (laughs) But um, I would. uh, Joe is a a a southern drama. Starring Nicolas Cage. In the vein of uh, a lot of David Gordon Green movies. Yes, absolutely. Um, he, along with uh, Jeff Nichols, have kind of been dubbed the uh, Southern auteurs, like the poet laureates of the South. And a lot of, like, yeah. take, and uh, I think David Lowry, who did uh, Ain't, no, yes. Ain't, Body, Ain't Bodies Saints or Ain't Nobody. Uh, what the <laughs> fuck was the name of the movie? Ain't Them Bodies Saints. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think he could definitely, with another, you know, once he does another film, he'll mm-hmm. be in that camp as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, what David, Dor- uh, what David Gordon Green and um, Jeff Nichols have over him is just four movies. Uh, yeah, but I think course. he absolutely could be a big, um, a, a big influence on that sort of genre of southern art movies. But da- uh, Which Joe, is practically a genre by this point. It is, and it's a genre yeah. I, I, I've really enjoyed, even when I think some of the movies are lesser. And Joe is a movie I came out on viewing it as slightly problematic, but pretty high on, and have since dipped just a little bit, though I still enjoy the movie. Yeah. Um, having talked to you off podcast, um, I'm pretty much in agreement of a lot of what you're probably going to say today. Yeah. But what Joe is, is Ty Sheridan, uh, kind of the child actor of choice for the Poet Laureates of the South. Um, yeah, considering he was in Mud and... And Tree of Life, which kind of... Oh, and Tree is, of Life, what do you know? Yeah, yeah, which is kind of, you know, rural Texas kind of view of the world. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, or suburban. But in this film, Ty Sheridan has a very problematic family life and lives in poverty and sort of views Nicolas Cage's Joe character, who also is a very problematic father figure, as a father figure because his own father is... Uh, an interesting fellow we'll probably get to talk about quickly. Um, yeah. But the movie overall is very much of the genre and, and lives in a lot of the sort of southern stereotypes, which are, are is, can be slightly problematic. But I would say... That wasn't my as, issue with it. But. Yeah. Um, as the movie gets goes on, it actually it becomes darker and darker and starts avoiding some of the comedy that or weird offbeat comedy that it had earlier in the movie, yeah. which is very David Gordon Green based on Prince Avalanche and his easily his best movie, 
um, George Washington. I have um, to see George Washington. It George Washington is like Joe and Prince Avalanche, but like really good. Like I like Joe and Prince Avalanche, but it's a step up. Um, yeah. It also features that one guy who's in Parks and Rec who left after like a season and a half. Rob Lowe? Or no? <laughs> no, for, it, it, from the get-go. I forget the actor's name, but he's, he's really young. I, I didn't recognize him at first, but um, that's besides the point. Uh, Joe is a character whose profession is his metaphor. He, along with a lot of his uh, rural uh, black workers, go around and poison trees for a living so that the, the removal of the trees becomes easier so they can replant new trees. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this becomes very profound as the movie yeah, goes on. Yeah. And it's, it's a metaphor that's obvious, but it's also one I appreciate. It, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's effective, especially by the end of the movie. It becomes exactly. kind of touching. No, absolutely. And I would say the end of the very end of the movie was actually one of its most successful points. Um, yeah. The very, like the very last scene. Yes. Absolutely, and, and and I think that when you when most people leave this movie, they're not going to really be disappointed. I, I mean, I've seen people like blow this movie out of proportion and say how great it is, and I've seen yeah. people completely trash this movie. And yeah, I don't, it's, yeah, it's neither neither. Yeah, that's a movie I could easily recommend, and I do recommend it to anyone listening. But it's not a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination. He, here's my beef with it. Mm-hmm. It. Um, Okay, it you have this great atmosphere, you have this great setting of these really interesting characters that you just want them to to talk. You just want them to hang out. You just want to hang out with them. Oh, yeah. And then halfway through, or even just by the third act, it kind of seems like okay, we have to get plot going. We have to have all these things happen. Um, all all these really dramatic. Um, Developments come, and I was like, "Okay, wait, wait. Could we just, could we just Terrence Malick this and just hang out with these people and not, not have to, have not not have, not have this gigantic conflict? Like, do we really need mm-hmm. this? Because um, I think like the movie stops in its tracks just to present all this stuff, and I think one of the main, uh, vic- one of the main victims of this is the dad character, the actual oh, yeah. Ty Sheridan's dad." Because the thing is, G dog. Okay, yeah, he's a uh, drunk, mostly incoherent. That beats his kid and his family. You're already against him. You don't need anything else. No. But then the movie feels like that feels like it has to, um, have him murder a dude just for nothing for a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. Like. He has to get immediately so much worse for no re- no reason that that scene exists for no other reason than I think to make the audience turn against him. And it's just like okay, we were already against him. He, we, he didn't need to be a murderer this time. Um, I will say though, I was that specific scene you're referencing. I really liked because it had like just in isolation on its own, because it had this tension to it where you kind of knew what was going to happen, but it still surprised you. Really, where where it goes off the rails for me is when he unites with Nicolas Cage's big-time antagonist. Yeah, uh, who, was, who was, like, he was entertaining to watch, but he was kind of a cartoon character. It, exactly, and, and really, his problem is not his cartoonish quality, which I would have been okay with, in, again, in isolation, but it's the fact that it's, again, as you said, forced plot. 
He's yeah. only exists to turn like this reminded me of Mud, and Mud is a great movie and yeah. a better movie. Than I was this. gonna say Mud is slightly guilty of this in the last. Um, uh, I like the, the last third act, and neither of these movies needed a shootout or whatever it, you would call yeah. the climax. Mud of this is movie. so great until that point where it's just like, eh, okay, it loses track a little bit, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I I think Mud comes out a little bit more successful than this movie because oh. I'm still at the end of the day I still love Mud for everything else. Uh, mm-hmm. everything else about it yes. but at this uh, at this point I think that stuff comes in so early and takes over the film so quickly mm-hmm. and then it kind of ret- wants to retreat back into its original like just let's hang out let's talk about things Yeah. but then go back into the hefty plot stuff That's just it just felt inconsistent to me and it's just like yeah. you didn't really know what it wanted to do um, sorry it's a book because, adaptation. My, my guess is they yeah. tried to adhere too closely to the book when they should have. Yeah. And then the third act, like the the ending ending, like I predicted all of that like within like like oh, from yeah. a mile away. Yeah. But here's the thing though. Like it still was because of the relationship between Ty Sheridan and Nicolas Cage and mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage, like the best moments – like, uh, like I think this is a really good performance. I think people are overblowing how great it is because there's a, still some campy Nicolas Cage-isms that I wish he didn't need to adhere to because cause when, you're, when you're in Bad Lieutenant, you can go crazy. You know, mm-hmm. you're, when you're in Werner, Werner Herzog's Bad Lieutenant Protocol New Orleans, yeah. New Orleans, that character calls for a certain level of insanity that I don't think Joe really called for, you know? So whenever, like, the- he, raised, whenever he raised his voice, like... Mm-hmm. It immediately kind of became, um, oh, the bees, no, bees, no. <laughs> I'm okay with it, uh, though I, I yeah, totally yeah, see your okay point. Be- because he's because most of the time when he did that, he was drunk. And, I, and I'm and i of the opinion that Nicolas Cage, especially after leaving Las Vegas, is one of the best drunk actors in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I'm trying to remember specifically there's a scene where he was just angry and sober. And I will say the worst scene with him, and it's even more obvious than the poisoning trees metaphor, and in that re- regard, weaker, is when he the dog fight scene, and then he has to, of course, use the woman character as his like sexual release. It's just so man that I'm. Oh, I, I, yeah. I, it took me out of the movie a little bit. Oh, well, I mean, actually, for a moment, quite a lot. Yeah, but then I, I kind of, yeah, that scene kind of made me mad, and I forgot. I forgot about it until you just mentioned it. And yeah, now I'm just like, <laughs> I, I apologize. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, he really did hate that dog, but of course, that dog didn't need to die. But um, yeah, it's like the um, but the thing but is, overall, I thought he was good, and Sheridan yeah. uh, again is given another good performance, and I can't wait till he grows up and see what he can do as an adult actor. I was gonna say the best part of the best part of Nicholas Cage's performance is when he's with Ty Sheridan, yes. and there's a certain level of tenderness with him that you just do not get with him. In most movies, yeah, that he's perfectly willing to bring out, and it's just it, it became really moving, and that's why mm-hmm. what happened at the end, as predictable as it was, like it it there's a there's a point where it just it kind of touched me, and I honestly in this movie that I find really problematic, well, you know, at least half problematic, you know, yeah, in this in this movie that I had significant issues with, and I think goes wrong in a way too many places. Honestly, I teared up. Like, it, mm-hmm. it became kind of emotional for me, and especially yeah. with the whole trees thing coming back at, by the end. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little obvious, but you know, 
it works. It's a great way to bookend the movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to agree with uh, podcasters, the uh, film spotting, because they've, they've been, made a big deal about Gary Poulter. The Is it the one with Matt Singer on it? Uh, no, he he no. does the SVU. He 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 does the uh, he, he does one that, that they talk about direct to DVD releases or oh. new digital releases, which is a a shot off. It's Adam Kempinar and Josh Larson. Oh, I and, didn't. Uh, oh, I I didn't know that film spotting and film spotting SVU were different. Yes, they are, and, and SVU is like an affiliate, and it's it's also good. But I I listen to film spotting every Friday. It's kind of like my little drive to work and back uh, routine. Or if I, we ever drive to a, long, a movie in Kansas City, which is an hour away. Um, that's what we li- my wife and I listen to. But but they've been really pumping up Gary Poulter, the non-professional who plays uh, G-Dog, or Wade, uh, Ty <laughs> Sheridan's dad. He's a non-professional actor. He's never been in a the movie. They literally just found him at a train station. wearing He's good, that though. G- Oh, yeah. And tragically, he died before this movie was released. Oh, my. That's... So, but the yeah. last thing he the last thing he told David Gordon Green was this was the best experience of his life. Aww. So, uh, like I know it, it's like very like heartwarming, especially considering that he's one of the top three best actors in this movie. Like you know he's up there with he's just as good as Cage and Sheridan, who are both good in this movie. Um, and really is a, gives a memorable. If he only had to give one performance, he gave a memorable one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I recommend this movie, Warts and All. All right. Yeah, like, I'm overall positive on it. I just think it could have been a lot better. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about uh, a couple of movies that you saw? Then we can talk about a couple of movies that I saw. Um, yeah. Do you um, want to go first? Sure. Uh, here's my question, and we can cut this, this out because this is just a question. Uh, do you want to alternate to mix up who talks, or do you want to, uh, to just do two quick uh, movie reviews? Yeah, um, the second one. Okay, so I'll, I'll do Blue Ruin and Mistaken for Strangers. All right. Okay, so Blue Ruin is a really interesting uh, movie I caught on VOD that has been getting really good reviews from the Dissolve and other good uh, uh, critic locations. Um, yeah. It's directed, written, and shot, uh, the cinematographer, by Jeremy Salnier, who is a... Um, who is a, mostly a cinematographer throughout his career. I believe this is his second movie. And the movie features a lot of uh, actors I did not recognize. This is the epitome of indie film. It's a tiny movie. And it's also quite good. I, I recommend it even more strongly than Joe because um, it has far uh, it has fewer problems within it. But, but also, it is a memorable little movie. It's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thriller. It's a revenge thriller about a man who's, uh, you find out very early on, his parents were murdered by another man whose family owns a limo company that they take kids to prom. So this man, who you first see homeless, eating out of dumpsters, his life has gone off the rails. Well, he quickly decides that he's going to enact revenge, and when the man who killed his parents was released from jail, um, for a reason I do not even quite remember... He goes and he enacts revenge and he kills this man. This is in the first 20 minutes of the movie. In a very weird murder scene, you can tell that um, Macon Blair, the main actor who plays the main character in this movie, is in over his head. He's going against a family that enacts violence. And in very, people compared this to Blood Simple. I would compare it to No Country for Old Men, though not as good oh, as either of really? those movies, um, because this movie is funny. 
Um, not ever obviously funny. The closest you get what is when he is he gets on his cell phone because he's gonna leave a message on this answering machine, but he's right next to the answering machine, so it has a lot of like feedback, and he like like screams, and then it is a quick cut to him outside the house now calling. Like it, it, to me, that was a really funny cut and really well done in the sort of very subtle humor the movie has. Um, but ultimately, this movie is very it's a very violent uh, thriller that's about the idea of violence begets violence, and once you start the cycle, it never ends. It's um, a very Coen Brothers-y thing to do. Absolutely. Uh, it totally makes sense why Scott Tobias and others have said that this is very much in the vein of Coen Brothers. The one part where it sort of separates itself and it becomes its own film is the tone, because like the Coen Brothers, it uses comedy, but it's a different tone of comedy. It's more subtle than the Coen Brothers, Though overall, I mean, I don't think Saulnier is yet to the level of even early Coen Brothers in his filmmaking, but I would say he's made you know a really good movie here, um, especially considering that he had no budget. It'd be interesting to see if he can get a mid-level budget on his next film and see what he can do with it. But Blue Ruin is a really interesting movie. and has a really nice uh, lead performance by Macon Blair, who plays the man avenging his parents. Um, also, I do need to mention the... <laughs> Side character, a friend of his, is played by um, Devin Ratray, I believe that's how you say his name, who is, in, who is one of the twins, or one of the brothers in, um, in Nebraska. Oh, also, oh, really? Now i got to see this. Yes, and uh, he plays his like pretty intelligent friend who helps him quite a bit throughout the movie. Um, uh, he doesn't ask him how fast his truck goes or what kind of car he drives, but he's still playing in the vein of same character, but much more. His head's on his shoulders. This is a smart kid. He also is a bouncer at a... lying through her teeth. <laughs> he's, but he's, also a, uh, he's also a bouncer at a metal club, so I, I, I figured that, that you would appreciate that. Um, All right. Uh, but, I try um, to avoid places like that describe themselves as metal clubs, but I... I, I... Maybe I'm inappropriately describing that. It's a concert venue in which... Well, yeah, it. but like, uh, I'm kind of, I don't like a lot of metal heads. Like, metal, oh, yeah. metal fans really don't appeal to me. We will see if, but, if whenever uh, you catch this movie, if his character uh, <laughs> is reality or not. <laughs> exactly. Um, also, he plays Macaulay Culkin's older brother in Home Alone, which I always, I did not know until recently. Wow. Yeah. That's, wow. That's, <laughs> I know. It's shit. pretty mind blowing. Um, this is a movie that I recommend, you know, catching however you can, if you see it in theaters, if you view it yeah. or in other way, it's, it's, it's a good movie. I'm not going to say it's going to be the most memorable movie by the year's end, but it's a movie that right afterwards you do wrestle with it and you ask yourself like what you liked about it because the movies for being so violent and, and for being bombastic in its images at times, it's such a soft movie. Like the tone is interesting. I really appreciated it. We'll see how we'll see if it either grows on me or if I forget it, about it. But Blue Ruin is certainly the low budget thriller that is a success story. In my opinion. All right, great. Really um, interesting. Um, I also saw probably I would say one of my favorite movies we've talked about today. Um, which surprised me because I thought it was going to be a typical rock doc. I saw Mistaken for Strangers, um, which is about it's way more about the family of. Well, well, go on, go on. I'm sorry. No, yeah, no, it is. It's it's about the uh, the, the 
the, the Berninger family. Uh, Matt Berninger is the lead singer of one of, see, I'm a bit biased here, so I feel bad. One of my favorite bands is The National. And he is one of the, he's, he's the lead singer of that band. And very, and this is a film directed by his brother, his little brother, who's much younger than him. It was seven to nine years, something in that range, um, who is, who, who does call himself a metalhead. Uh, so he's very much <laughs> not, he's not, he also makes real, he also made a couple indie like gore fest movies. Um, that, I don't know if they got it. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. One features a Viking with a huge hammer. And <laughs> I, I don't know if they have any movie. distribution, but there's a couple scenes in this movie of of the guitar, one of the guitarists of the National watching it, and just has a blank look on his face, like he doesn't want to tell him it's terrible, but he's trying to be polite. <laughs> um, it's really good. Uh, early in this, I mean, and and Tom is the director of this movie, and he's going to be a roadie for the National for their High Violet tour. Um, oh, this is this was back in like '10 or something like that. Yes, that's when he started. It took him a long time to finish this movie. This movie goes from the High Violet tour into the uh, recording sessions of Trouble Will Find Me. That's What's about the when this movie is in. Yes, the, the last two national albums. So sort of like it's in that period of touring High Violet because it's out to recording their next album, which has songs that specifically reference the brothers' relationship. Wow. Including, including, yeah, uh, super meta. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. it. it uh, uh, one of my favorite songs off the new album is the first one. Uh, I-, I Live in Salt, I believe is what it's called. And that song is featured in this movie and it's very specifically about their relationship, about how Matt feels guilty for being a dick to his brother at times. And much more complex than that, of course. But this movie, the two, like, Matt's being interviewed towards the beginning. And he goes, how does it feel that the National features two groups of brothers and just you? Uh, because the bassist and the drummer are brothers. Yeah, and the two guitarists are twins, and, and Matt's like, "Oh, I have a brother." Wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I, like, I never I thought a... about that. Yeah, so it makes a really interesting dynamic for the band. Because oh, I have a brother. We he, we just don't get. We just don't hang out. So he invites Tom to be a roadie and allows Tom because he's always supported Tom's creative uh, endeavors. Because Tom's a, a he, he he draws, he paints. He um, both of their parents are artists um, in different ways. Uh, so it's a very artistic family. Uh, but he is allowing Tom to make a movie, much uh, which pisses off the head tour manager for the for the national, who's constantly telling Tom to put his uh, his, his camera away. But it, we get some good concert footage of some of their best songs from Alligator, Boxer, and High Violet. But really, that's not what this movie's about, and that makes up probably about 12, 13 percent of the movie. It, most of it. It's just him trying to be a rock, Tom trying to be a rock star, live the rock star lifestyle. He wants to get wasted with uh, with the drummer. He asked them, why don't you guys do drugs? Like he so wants to be like touring with Guns N' Roses or Motley Crue, but he's not. He's touring with the National who know, who, who drink wine and beer. They don't drink hard liquor on tour because that's like a no-no for them because they have to focus. Um, so the... It's interesting to see as Tom becomes more, uh, more and more of a liability for for, for the road crew, um, to watch the clashes and then sort of forgiveness and just the complicated relationship he and Matt have because Matt's not perfect. There are like specifically scenes that sort of mention how um, that that mention how Matt can be d- difficult to work with. Um, which 
is an interesting take because normally you don't get that in a rock doc. Normally it's just glorifying the band. And this is truly just a great relationship movie. This is a story that you wouldn't expect in a movie like this. And Tom had, um, as he was editing the movie towards the end of this film, he's, he's talking about editing this movie and he, you know, he's constantly failing. They screen the movie for people. They do all of these sorts of things. Um, and, they, and these are all disasters because Tom recognizes that, you know, he has to have a better work ethic. Uh, I don't know. It's just, just the relationship of this movie, just obviously because it was a real relation. It is a real relationship. It just felt just so true. And you get kind of like, it sort of redefines itself as it goes. Like the movie is about making the movie and the movie is about their relationship while making the movie. And it's, it's an interesting movie. Even if you're not a fan of this sort of quote unquote typical indie rock, um, I, I would say they're better than that, but you know, it's a, it's an opinion that I recognize. It's still worth watching for the relationship. And I would strongly uh, recommend it, especially the credit sequence in which um, I won't spoil, but it was very all much right. a culmination of all efforts. I'm really interested in looking for, I'm really interested in seeing this. So, yeah. All right. I saw what is easily one of my favorite movies of this year and one of the greatest films of all time, The Raid <laughs> 2. Or as it's known in every other part of the world, The Raid 2 Berendal, which is Indonesian for thugs. Uh, I guess American audiences just couldn't handle anything of a foreign language being in their, being in their titles. I guess. <laughs> yeah, so we just get The Raid 2. And honestly, like, Sorry. So, so is the sequel to the Raid One? You don't need to have seen the Raid One to see it, but to know exactly what's going on. But uh, you should still see the Raid One because it's terrific. But essentially, um, the sole survivor of the Raid One has a new has a new mission, which is to. Um, uh, get into prison and buddy up with the son of one of the the head of one of the leading crime fam crime organizations in Jakarta or the, uh, Indonesia, um, and to and weed out all the dirty cops that have been bribed into working with the working with them. But of course, this becomes a little bit more complicated because. Once they get out of prison, and this uh, lead guy who I, he's played by an actor and a fire choreographer named Iko Uwais. Um, I can't remember what his character's name is. Let me look that up. Uh, Rama. It's pretty easy to remember. Um, mm -hmm. Rama. Um, once they get out, and Rama is you know, work is working for the organization or uh, under an under an alias, of course, because he's still uh, working for the for this police unit. Um, the son that he buddied up with in prison is getting involved with this sort of outside uh, outside crime lord that is joining up the ranks and wants to take down, wants to essentially start a war with. The Japanese clan, the, the Japanese mafia, over a piece of 
over a land dispute or something like that. Mm-hmm. And really, while there's while there the plot here is really interesting, and it is it does really provide a nice nice glue for the movie. What this movie really is about is fight, 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 fight. And yeah. it, like honestly, I I think it. I kind of lost track here. Fuck. <laughs> and honestly, yeah. the the fight scenes in this movie are astounding. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like when I was a kid and watching uh, old Jackie Chan movies or Bruce Lee films, except this time they're hyper-violent. And mm-hmm. you really get a sense that these people are hurt, dog. Yeah. And, like... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm losing track here. Um, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, so it's hard for me to remember to, to remember tiny details about it. But it's just a blast from beginning to end, and there's just um, and these fights, like there's like character development within the fights as well, which is a really interesting thing, and um. There's like the the difference between this movie and the last raid is that like the the plot actually provides a good motivation for the fights because in the first raid it's really a single objective film which is get to the top of the building and get the guy get the bad guy and on on your way explode some fridges some refrigerators and fight and that might that the Raid 2 might have lost something in that kind of pure existence, but I think what it gained is really something more because there's you know, more plot and that provides a better, a, a more meaningful sort of motivation for the fighting and the character. You actually remember the characters because I, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember a single character that from the first Raid except for the bad guy and a couple of the bad guys and obviously the main character. Um but uh, all the characters are so interesting, and some of the fighters that show up that are literally o- only there to fight. Like there's a character that's there's a character that uses a hammer. That that's her her whole stick is that she has a spike hammer, which called to my, which reminded me of Old Boy, but I'm not sure if that was really intended. Um, and there's a character that uses a baseball bat uh, and a baseball. Um, he kills people with a baseball, which is a pretty <laughs> awesome thing um like you remember those people just because of the way they fight like they give they give people different fighting styles for their different characters and uh honestly i just thought that what and and this movie is about two and a half hours and i think oh wow and like it does a good job of not not you know because if you want to do a pure fighting movie like you know the first raid, I don't think is I don't think is any longer than ninety minutes, and I think it's that's really perfect for what that movie is. But I think there's a lot of really interesting scenes of just people talking in this movie that you don't really ex- you didn't really expect and you didn't think that it needed, mm-hmm. but it actually really works very well. And then when the fighting comes, there, there's appropriate build up to it. Um, there's a, an appropriate context to it, and 
good lord, it is so violent. This is such a violent movie. It's just so much fun. And there's a the and just there's individual individual fights that I remember that are just great and like you and it's just really it's really interesting because there's like like uh, I've, I've, I've lost track here but anyways the raid the raid two is really great and it was one of, it was one of the most fun times I've had in a movie in quite a while especially of the year you know along with um along with Under the Skin and along with the Grand Budapest Hotel it's you know one of my three favorite film going experiences of the year so far. I wonder if um, I haven't seen the first raid and I haven't seen this one. I plan on one day catching it because how divisive they can be, you know. Um, it, but for the most part, it seems like most people re- uh, really love them. I worry that I'm going to watch it and it's not going to be for me. And I don't want to be Maybe. that killjoy. So like, I don't, don't want to be that. Well, guy well why exactly that. do you think it's not going to be for you though? I don't know. Like, like uh, the way I've heard it explained by some of its detractors is that the that they just get so oversaturated with so much violence that it starts losing its power for them. And that can, can happen to me. I sometimes can see that. Like I've action, heard, action I, like I've read some negative reviews of this film and say it goes way too over the top. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think that there's kind of this, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really particularly like the kind of, um, how do I say it? There's kind of this idea about genre films in sort of a, yeah, a critical sense that they're not they're ghettoized well uh, ghettoized um <laughs> but that you know they're lesser or that, that they're mm-hmm. not uh worthy of being in the same conversation as mm-hmm. you know serious art films and like look i art house it up most of the time mm-hmm. but i don't think that's really i don't think that i don't think that like the evil, like Evil Dead, is one of my favorite movies of all time, and mm-hmm. that movie is purely what it is. Like, there's no subtext to that movie at all. It, yeah. it is literally, it, it is what it is. And the Raid movies are kind of like that, except the in the Raid two there is a little bit of commentary about the nature of violence, in, oh, um, but to, just a little bit. It's really not anything substantial. Um, yeah, I think that something could be said for a movie simply being what it is. Oh, absolutely. I see. And when, whenever I watch, I'll probably watch the first one before the second one, obviously. Um, whenever I do, I'm going to try to keep that in mind. Like, cause when I watch genre movies, there's some genre movies I, I love and I get called a snob by certain members of my family, but I'm like, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of my favorite yeah. movies, so, uh, yeah, which but- is a movie about, having fun at the movies and that's okay. The yeah, movie exactly. is great because it recognizes that. So I'm going to try to look at it through sort of its yeah. inventiveness in its action and its violence. And, but see, the, the one issue is that while I watch, I love a lot of violent movies. I have n- never loved a movie for its violence. Um, well, it's not really like, about like, Oh, look at how much score there is. It's, it's like, look at, Oh my God, look at, look at this choreography. Like see, I'm going to look at it through a choreographical standpoint. Yeah, exactly. Because so I might end up enjoying it. Because like just just the the fights and the choreography and just how um how how it's so specific for each character, mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. And I think um I don't know I just I, I just think everything adds up in the end to something really really terrific for me. Um 
And yeah, I think yeah. That's, pr- that's pretty much all I had to say. Oh um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a shot one day, and I'll let yeah, you know. when it's on DVD or something like that, you can just yeah. uh, do, you, do you have red you have Redbox in your area, right? Yes, but I, yeah. I know uh, I tend to rent from Hastings instead because it's the the selection's better. Oh really? What's uh, what's it's, Hastings? I might, I oh, might it, it, or maybe I do. It's um, it's think Barnes and Noble if you can rent movies from it because it has every all the other stuff too, but also cheaper because oh. Barnes and Noble is ridiculously expensive. Oh yeah, fuck Barnes and Noble. Yeah. And a lot of and a lot of you and a lot of used movies, um, so it's like vintage stock or some sort of used place meets at Barnes. Oh, so and it's Noble. like a like a store store. Yeah, it's oh, a, really? it's a chain. It's yeah, it's a it's a oh, chain in the Midwest. Not... Oh, okay. It's in the Midwest, okay, because I'm in Southern California, you know, so we might not have that. Uh, yeah, video stores are really dying here, and it's kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. I have I have my Netflix DVDs, but oh yeah, and you, yeah, and you could probably get on Netflix DVDs if you want to get that too. Um, exactly. I only have a streaming service, which just went up a dollar, <laughs> apparently. Um, Hopefully, they really need the extra the extra money, I guess. To this fight. doesn't have to, this doesn't have to stay in the podcast, but I, but I hope that they buy community <laughs> oh yeah like like i keep i keep hearing that and like that'd be great if it happens but i kind of doubt it i kind of doubt it oh yeah like <clears throat> yeah but whatever community is great and it just got canceled a couple days ago for anyone or just yesterday if my, you know, for my, anyone listening my biggest reason for wanting them to renew it is because i thought the season was so good except for yeah I mean, exactly like, I didn't like the finale very much, so I, I wanted a better. I didn't see end. the. I haven't seen. I there's like four episodes I still haven't seen. Uh, um, there's some good ones, but the last two I thought were merely okay. So, oh, so like that might be the series finale. Yeah, so that, that sucks. I like I like the finale for season three a lot actually. Yes. yes. Um, if they had to end there, it would have been better than where they ended here. Yeah, but um. Fuck. There was a couple other movies I saw. Captain America is great, but you've probably already seen it. Um, I think it does something really interesting for a superhero genre in that it actually asks really in- interesting questions about um, governess and you know when when has the government become too powerful? And it's really uh, surprisingly timely for here and now. And I think like kind of like the raid too. It's like it. It's genre, but it's done well, and I actually think that there's a, a, an interesting subtext to Captain America that you don't, you know, you get Captain America fighting against against a corrupt, corrupted American government, and you almost expect Captain America to be all patriotism all the time. Uh, Here's my it's, it's, question for you: the did you did you read Matt Solar Seitz's uh, op-ed about how about superhero movies recently? He's the editor in chief of RodRieber.com, and uh, he's a very good critic. Um, but he recently had a little like column about how I haven't read it, but yeah, go on about about how samey superhero movies are. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the I've visual, heard about that exactly. Yeah. yeah, in the visual aesthetic, he calls the Marvel movies, which he says range from good to bad, like any genre. But he says that visually, you could also lump them with Man of Steel. They're all about things crashing into other things with CGI that looks like it was from the same company. And actually, all those CGI for all those movies I just mentioned were the same company. And he actually, uh-huh. even though he says Dark Knight Rises... or something? Yes. Uh, and even though he, like a lot of people, 
uh, including me, uh, say, you know, The Dark Knight Rises is problematic, but it at least has a different look because probably because Christopher Nolan's look, uh, his, his visual style, but how we need more variety in the visual styles in our superhero movies. Oh, yeah. They're getting so, like, yeah, in, yeah, in, and he included uh, the new Spider-Man and Captain America, which I have not new seen. De- new Spider-Man is definitely generic looking. Um, Captain America, I haven't looked at it. I, I, I guess when I look at it again, I'll look at it from a visual standpoint. But mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that it's the first, you know, it's uh, finally a superhero movie where New York doesn't need to get destroyed and um, it's actually, you know, it's not like Man of Steel, which just ends with buildings collapsing and just an immeasurable, immeasurable body count. This movie is actually like, you know, the anti that, you know, it's not just destruction porn like that movie is out. I'll catch it when it comes out on DVD. I I was really turned off by the new Thor movie. Uh, uh, <laughs> God, it was it, like at first I was thinking it was better than the first one, but then I actually after I finished it, I'm like, but I feel exactly no, the it, same. Yeah, like they're about the same. But if I had to choose one, like probably the first, mm-hmm. because there is a little bit of a sense of fun in the first movie and kind of, kind of, kind of a camp, kind of a campiness, but. Um, Second one was just too serious, except for the Captain America cameo in that film, which was pretty funny. Yeah, that one is funny. But that's really about it. Um, yeah, I don't watch Thor two, but Captain America two. I mean, you've probably already seen it, but it's good. I haven't. Or well, 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 not you, but <laughs> everyone, but everyone else in America has probably seen it. What the <laughs> it's hell? True. What the hell was the other movie that? I think. Uh, I, I think that's that was it. it. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, Oh, we talk, I talked about I talked enough about Spider-Man Two and the pre-show stuff. Um, okay, so because we've been going on for a little while now, we should probably shut we should probably shut the fuck up now. Totally. All right, totally. all right, everyone. Well, hopefully um, you'll be hearing some hot spanking music uh, to heed your way out of the podcast and the internet and. Uh, We'll be back hopefully in another month or so with another good batch of movies. I know Godzilla's coming. We're going to see that. Oh, uh, I saw Neighbors yesterday. It's hilarious. Oh, good. It doesn't do anything that those Seth Rogen-y type movies haven't done before. It doesn't really explore that many new territories. But, like, honestly, I think you're making me laugh. That's okay. Seth Rogen's on a good run. At least for me, yeah. Like I'm, I'm like so down for that kind of. I'm so down for those people that I'm okay with them treading water if they can just be, be funny to me, and they just, they just are, you know. As long as you're not who making. Would, who would have thought that Seth Rogen would be our most consistent comedian? <laughs> yeah, like, like there's a point where you've done the same thing over and over again, and it stops. It's just diminishing returns. Like, Adam Sandler reached that point a long time ago. Um, but, uh, like, the whole Seth Rogen, uh, Jason Siegel, uh, Nick, Nicholas Jonah Stoll, Hill. Jonah Hill, Nicholas Stoller clan, honestly, they're still funny to me. Yep. And I, I still laugh at I still laugh at what they do. And I think and, – and Zach Efron – Zach Efron is surprisingly great in – I hate him in everything, so I'm excited to see him in something I don't think uh, You know, he's been trying for a while to – get past the Disney image like he was in 
the last, last Lee Daniels movie, The Paperboy, which I didn't <laughs> see, but I heard that it was just campy as hell. Gets, I guess he gets peed on by he Nicole gets peed Kidman. on by Nicole Kidman. That, and <laughs> That's that, really weird. And apparently that actually happened. Like it wasn't. Oh my god! Like like suppose like allegedly she actually pissed on him. See, so whenever I mentioned earlier, I like uh, self indulgent, over the top directors like Aronofsky and Fellini. Lee Daniels is a little too <laughs> gets a little too <laughs> little too much. He needs to reel that shit in. And <laughs> I guess he did for the Butler. But actually, the butler, the best scenes were the weird ones, like like the, yeah, the pantsuits jump, and dancing. The, the jumpsuits or none of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, Lee, Lee Daniels, he, he's, a, he's a trip. But um, no, Zac Efron is great in uh, Neighbors, and uh, he he really sort of um, – uh, shit. He kind of he uses his physicality almost as a punchline in a really, especially by the end, um, it, like how chiseled from stone he is, yeah. just this perfect, banging body, <laughs> um, and I think he I think he uses his charisma into something a little bit more twisted and kind of psychopathic in this movie, but not in, in an over the top way, but in just kind of a. I don't know. I just, I just thought he was – this is easily the best thing I've seen him do so far uh, because he really goes for it comedically and I think – you know, I just really dig him. And Rose Byrne I always thought – I've always thought was really terrific and I think this might be my favorite role I've seen her in because nice. um, it really goes against the whole idea of and, – and one of the problems with some of the, sort of the Apatow movies up until Bridesmaids was that the female characters have all been the kind of the same – like they've like they've all been like Catherine Heigl or Leslie Mann in the Knocked Up, where they're all kind of nagging and kind of yeah, like like in that vein, you know, and they're not allowed oh, to, yeah. be, to be raunchy. And I think they've I think once Bridesmaids Bridesmaids came out, I think they really did a great job of not doing that and um, uh, um, making the women. A little bit like allowing their women to really go for it comedically in the way that they weren't allowed to before. Like I really, I really enjoyed Emily Blunt in um, the Five Year Engagement, the last Nicholas Stoller movie, and um, uh, and to a lesser extent, um, Emily Watson in what was it? This is the end. And uh, but definitely Rose Byrne in this movie too. I thought they really made a great use of her as well. Um, mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah, neighbors funny. Um, then Godzilla's coming out next month or next week. We will talk about it next month. I just um, watched the first Godzilla for the first time, so my DVD recommendation. The first time. Godzilla. Yeah. Oh yeah, we didn't, we didn't do that DVD recommendations. Uh, no, I, I know we're not really doing it this time because we, we've gone long. But if I if we did one, it would be that. It, it was good. Well, I now I have now I have to think of one. Go see the first raid. That's my DVD hey. recommendation. Yes. Sir. And go see Criterion's Godzilla Blu-ray. The transfer is wonderful. All right, fantastic. Uh, and go see Destroy All Monsters. Mm-hmm. And don't see All Monsters Attack because it's actually one of the lesser Godzilla movies. I one of my friends was talking about that earlier today. But anyways, yeah, or I, watch Mystery Science Theater's 3000s ripping off of Gamera, the giant turtle monster. Gamera is terrific. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Gamera. Alright, well, anyways, everyone, goodbye. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. 
uh, speakers slash slash screens. Search for us on iTunes. Uh, go on speakers and screens, speakers screens.tumblr.com. And um, rate us on iTunes. Or give us a nice review because it gives us a better placing on the podcast section. Or give us a mean review. We'll, we'll take whatever we can get. No, no. Five stars. <laughs> Five stars or die. Oh. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. Somebody tell me what is this man got? He makes me cry. I think we got way off task at the end, but that's okay. Uh, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? I'm not. If, gonna... if you if you can last the first hour and a half, I have no idea how long we've been casting. But if you can last the first like hour, ten minutes, hour and a half, you can you, you can get through. The... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. Uh, all right, I gotta probably go soon. All right, you have a great day, sir. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you do too. Bye. Bye.